For me, it's always just been in my DNA to sort of give back and help those less fortunate and just approach life with empathy and com compassion. And, uh, you know, personally, I've always just been very grateful for everything I've been given. And when you look at the world society today, you know, most of the wealth lies within the wealthiest 1% of the society. And it's, and it's really not right. So for me, for as long as I've been able to remember, uh, my focus in my career has always been to you know, create a more equitable society and that we should live in a world where you know, healthcare, access to food, clean water, education, housing, everyone should should have that. So I've always, you know, that, that was a decision I made early on that I want to dedicate myself to those issues. And you know, early on when I was in technology, that was always the goal. I love programming. I program like 30, 40, I program like 50, 60 hours straight before back in the day. Um, so I love it. I love the logic, the puzzles. I love math. Uh, but the uh, reality is I, I really saw technology, especially during that time as it was emerging, as an opportunity uh, to really make, uh, make a great impact. Dr. Nikor, what was the most surprising crossover between your work at IBM developing e-commerce products and the six hats you wear now? Uh, many, many different crossovers. So, uh, you know, first, you know, naturally much of the work that I do now, it centers around innovation and technology and obviously being at IBM, the you know, natural uh, crossover from that perspective. And then more specifically, what we're doing at HomeCare Hub, you know, we're really creating a seamless backend experience and payment platform and experience for our partners, which is exactly what I was programming on and, and in the guts uh, many years ago. And uh, when I think about things like TD, you know, we're the second largest bank in Canada, one of the biggest companies in, in the country uh, with a global presence. And my job is to think about their health, health and wellness. And you know, while I'm a doctor, of course, I can think of it from that perspective. It's been really helpful, actually, uh, having spent time as an employee at IBM at such a large organization uh, to have that perspective. And then, of course, lastly, as a clinician, you know, at IBM, I'm programming, I'm doing logic, algorithms in my head all the time. And I find myself as an internist uh, you know, performing a lot of those same sort of logic and algorithms along the way as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't know how you balance everything and manage to maintain uh, kind of six different hats at the same time. But regardless, we'll dig into that later. Uh, welcome to How It's Met, the podcast where we chat with people who are shaping the future of healthcare and health tech. Boy, howdy, do we have so much to talk about today with absolutely unrivaled Dr. Vipin Nakor, currently CEO of Home Care Hub and so, so much more. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go into it. You can check out his LinkedIn. It is, it is, it is ridiculous. Vipin, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for having me here. And I got to commend you. It's, it's a really great initiative that you've put together uh, with your podcast here. And thank you for being staying on me. I, I feel terrible. It took you a while to get me to get me, but like Good. any great uh, entrepreneur, you stuck with it. And uh, I, I, I'm, you know, I just genuinely apologize for the delay. I know it's, it's been a, uh, a while. So thank you, Jeff. And, and uh, yeah, just keep up the great work you've been doing. So. Oh, good. I appreciate that you you made time for this, regardless of the fact that you do so much. But uh, let's let's take it all the way back to the days of I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys, uh, otherwise known as 1999 when I was two years old. Uh, <laughs> I really have to date you there. Uh, I started at Citibank, Sun Microsystems, then IBM. Why did you bounce around so many different companies? 
Yeah, well, thank you for aging me. But <laughs> yeah, going going back uh, uh, to that time, way back, you know, really wasn't uh, it wasn't really a change. It was more of a uh, like I was actually just doing summer internships at Citibank and Sun Microsystems. So for me, I've always believed internships are a great opportunity to get a really sneak preview into various companies and experiences. So uh, that was that was really the the, the main reason for multiple. Uh, company. So when I graduated undergrad, I did, you know, have an offer to go back to Silicon Valley and go to Sun Microsystems. And they were, you know, behemoth uh, way back during the, the olden days, as you would uh, call them. <laughs> but uh, I had a really great offer at IBM here in Toronto. And after being away at undergrad, wanted to stick around near my parents and family. Um, and again, uh, cool projects I was working on here. So mm-hmm. IBM was was back then uh and in a lot of business case studies a innovation giant what was the favorite i guess project that you worked on back then that you still remember and reference to this day good question good question so you know back then and it's interesting i'll get into some of the transition a bit later you know it was really fascinating working on real world projects so i just i was focused on you know WebSphere Business Edition, basically their WebSphere Commerce Suite, Commerce Suite, uh, working on the again for all these different you know major companies. And think about this too. This is you know shortly after dot com, but like during the dot com boom, right? So companies, you know, Versace, whoever it was, they're all going on, on online and using our product. So I you know was I was just coming out of undergrad. I thought it was super interesting to just work on uh, you know technology that was going to be used by you know, millions of different people uh, through the 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 IBM's uh, backend. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you've it seems like a lot of the tech that you helped build shaped the world that we know of today, an extremely commercialized internet, uh, which I, I guess to some extent starts to I guess compare uh, to how healthcare has begun to evolve. Uh, over the, the past decades or so. But regardless, to get back into uh, the conversation that I want to lead, you didn't only work in terms of uh, kind of software development and payment systems. You did a lot of work between tech and health back then. Uh, so your work post-IT days was still embedded in the interaction between health and tech. And a lot of these projects had to do with underserved populations, which is kind of a you know, straight left turn uh, from what you referenced just now. Why? Yeah, great, great question. You know, for me, it's always just been in my DNA to sort of give back and help those less fortunate and just approach life with empathy and comp- compassion. And, uh, you know, personally, I've always just been very grateful with, for everything I've been given. And when you look at the world society today, you know, most of the wealth lies within the wealthiest one percent of society and it's and it's really not right so for me for as long as i've been able to remember uh, my focus in my career has always been to you know create a more equitable society and that we should live in a world where you know healthcare, access to food clean water education housing everyone should should have that so i've always you know that that was a decision i made early on that i want to dedicate myself to those issues and you know, early on when i was in technology that was always the goal i love programming i can program like 30 40 i program like 50 60 hours straight before back in the day um so i love it i love the logic the puzzles i love math 
Uh, but the reality is I, I really saw technology, especially during that time as it was emerging, as an opportunity uh, to really make uh, make a great impact. So for me, it didn't feel lateral at all. It was just using a different means uh, to accomplish the same thing. Mm-hmm. Can you, or do you feel comfortable explaining what exact experiences led you to believe so strongly in health equity? I feel like in, during the dot-com boom and the subsequent years, it would have been so easy to just move down to Silicon Valley, uh, explode with the startup scene, and just make it so that you can use the resources and the community to make an impact from top down, whereas you chose instead to focus on health equity. So there must have been some experience that really struck you to the core uh, when you were developing that, you know, shaped the way and shapes the way that you think. Yeah, a great, great question. You know, for me, again, it was always sort of in my DNA. So I always knew that, uh, you know, contributing to causes, you know, improving our society was to me, you know, I, I come from, you know, largely physicians in my family. So, you know, healthcare has always been in my DNA. Um, so, but at the time when I was programming, it wasn't healthcare I was most specifically interested in. I was very much, like I said, zoned in on tech. It could have been helping in so many different ways. But what really helped me make the move to health tech from sort of general technology um, and then, you know, ultimately med school, et cetera, as well, was uh, when I actually was at IBM, you know, there were some amazing parts about being at IBM, but you're also, you know, you're one person in this massive organization, right? And you're working on a very small piece of the puzzle amongst many others to to create, you know, great impact. And, you know, I started, you know, looking around the room and and I saw people who just, they love technology for loving technology. They were so excited about, you know, the newest version of Java that came out, right? And I thought that was cool, but that wasn't, didn't get me excited, right? And if I want to be the best at what I do, I need to be really excited about what I do. And that really made me think about what do I want to have at my core, which really led me led me to healthcare because I just think healthcare is a you know, tremendous field uh, that offers so much and so much good you can do and it's dynamic and so much to learn and different paths you can take in your career. Uh, so I think that was really uh, the, the most important uh, uh, kind of insight along the way that, that made me sort of make the move there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, one, sorry, one other thing too, you know, at that time too, you know, there was, I don't want to say we were in fantasy land a little bit, but when I was a student, you know, this is late nineties and there was this almost naivety around you go into tech and yeah, you, you do a startup and then goes IPO and then you start your own and then you're going to retire by 30 and then I'm going to go, you know, do run, you know, start these nonprofits and do all these things. Right. And that was sort of a naive view of the world. Right. And the dot com boom started uh, coming down. There was the crash. And you started to see a little bit of this reality. And you're like, well, this isn't necessarily the normal path. Right. And that made me also think about what do I want to do the next, you know, 50, 70, 80 years of my life and and center my core around. Mm -hmm. I I agree that uh, addressing health inequities is one of the best ways that you can address inequality and inequity overall. And you've worked so long in this space overall between health and tech and addressing inequalities and inequities. 
that I think the next question really suits you well. So what are the unique challenges that underserved populations, as far as you've seen, face in accessing quality healthcare? And what will be, in your perspective, the most effective solutions to these problems? That, um, you know, this, this is a whole podcast on its own. And, um, but, but, you know, at a high level here, you know, access to diagnostics and diagnostic infrastructure, that's, you know, absolutely huge. Having worked as a clinician in, in multiple countries, uh, you know, access to health professionals. I've seen people, um, you know, pass away in, in front of my eye because, well, they don't have the diagnostics, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere and, you know, I'm concerned they may have a, a, a bleed in their head and there's no CT scan. Obviously that's terrible, but even if we had the CT scan, well, who's going to be able to operate on them, yeah, right? What are you going to do? And right. So like, it's, it's really a puzzle to put all the pieces together. So diagnostics, health professionals, lack of access to technology, of course. And then of course, you know, public health issues are all um, you know, all uh, critical, like you know, clean water access, you know, misinformation. There's so many things from a pure public health standpoint that we uh, really need to focus on uh, as well. And you know, I should know we're starting to see innovations, right, from various uh, you know underserved areas. We're seeing some of these technologies. They're going to leapfrog uh, some of the technologies we have here, right? And we're going to export them and or sorry, import them into North America uh, as well. Whether it's you know drones delivering blood, et cetera, or diff- different things that they've had to get right uh, because of the lack of resources there. So I think you know, that's something to keep a, uh, keep a lookout for in the years ahead. You know, most importantly, there really needs to be more capital for these communities, right? Uh, need to really build an entire local health infrastructure. You need more local health professionals who come from the communities. You need to you know, create a culture of quality uh, in safety. And, you know, when I was over at uh, MIT working on some of the global health work that we used to do in, uh, across the globe, you know, our team, we used to say this a lot that, you know, more access to poor quality, unsafe care is, is not helpful, right? So you really need to build a culture of quality and safety in these, uh, you know, in, in the communities. And then you can improve the access and improve the care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess two questions that, uh, come from what you've just said. Um, how do you build a culture of uh, access with quality without necessarily being uh, extremely paternalistic or even as what was done before, parachuting in, providing care, and then going out? Is there a specific formula or is it a kind of case-by-case basis? I think it is a case-by-case basis, and I, and I wish I had all the answers uh, to this as well. Um, I, I don't have the greatest solutions, but I do think that, you know, the more of an emphasis just on the concept um, of how important it is and bringing in quality training, uh, you know, bringing in, you know, having programs where people have access to understanding, uh, you know, how to improve quality in, in health systems, that itself is a great start. You know, I obviously, you know, IHI does great work um, you know, North America and across the world, the more access, uh, there is to institutions like IHI, et cetera, and also local institutions that are similar to IHI, right? That's Institute for Health Improvement for people who, are, who aren't aware. Uh, that, you know, that's going to help move the needle. People have to ingrain it in their systems. It can also come through, you know, their own medical 
institutions, again, local medical institutions, that's who's training the the next generation of mm-hmm. clinicians and health professionals. And I can tell you, like, they're, I've worked with so many uh, practitioners. They're just, they're phenomenal. Uh, and I, I can tell you, just great talents. And if we could bring more, again, I, I just like you said, we don't want to sound paternalistic, but work with uh, you know, more sort of global collaborations so that countries can learn from each other and bring ideas. And some some areas are doing quality great, some areas are not, right? And if they can learn from each other, it doesn't have to be you know, me going to them, but could be one area of one continent working with another area of a continent and uh, uh, learning from each other. Mm-hmm. So. One of the things that you mentioned in your first little spiel uh, was providing access there. So that provides a bit of a bit, bit of sense of distance, in a, or it implies that at least. Uh, I know that inner cities, uh, having worked in various inner city hospitals, also face their own challenges with regard to health access. Are the same challenges present in inner cities, in your perspective, as there are in less resource settings, in, for example, rural settings or countries with less money to spend on healthcare overall? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the first projects I worked on was you know, way back after I left IBM. I was at UCLA where I was working in, in health informatics and working on telehealth projects um, for you know areas of South Central, et cetera, where we were uh, you know, doing ophthalmology screening, et cetera, um, and various vision screening at, and, and providing ophthalmology access, I should say, to uh, to some of the communities there. And this is this is over 20 years ago. So that was then, and it still remains true now. Um, there are great opportunities. You can, you know, there's so much data showing, um, you know, the life expectancy differences between people who are in it, literally adjacent area codes, right? So, the, you know, just by being in a city, it doesn't mean they're getting world class healthcare, even if um, they're in close proximity to it. So mm-hmm. we've we've talked so. Uh, much so far about some of the discrepancies in healthcare quality so far. But what's your favorite story to tell with regard to health IT projects that have shown benefit for those who are underserved? Yeah, I've seen a lot of cool projects. I've studied a lot of cool projects. Uh, Choose one over the years. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to start with a non health tech project because I think it's okay. important to just understand the impact that we have. Uh, doesn't have to be always tech related. It doesn't, you know, innovation doesn't always mean technology. Yes, technology plays a key role in innovation in, in many manners. But, uh, you know, I love to highlight, uh, you know, a colleague of mine or a, a mentee of mine, Sam, who's down in Haiti, a medical student down there, remarkable uh, story and inspiration he's been. And uh, uh, that's a whole nother story for for another day. You know, there was a time he was working with an organization, a public health organization in uh, in Haiti, and it was, I believe, it was cholera. There were a lot of patients coming uh, with cholera and uh, symptoms of cholera, and you know they would be treating them, treating them. And he just said one day, "You know what? I'm going to take a megaphone and go down to the community and start educating people." He educated the people, kept educating the people, and before long, there were no more patients because he had talking about washing hands and all the other public health measures, et cetera. Um, and that solved the problem, right? That wasn't, that wasn't a highly technical project, right? So I think that I, I love that story. And I know this is a health tech progr- uh, podcast, so I got to 
throw a couple plugs on some cool projects that are tech related. I think what we've done with, you know, TB, um, that's been really important. We've, we've built really strong information systems, which has helped, uh, you know, helped us in our fight with, with TB and my colleague, Hamish Frazier, who was at Partners in Health, uh, he's done a lot of great work in, in that area, uh, over the years. I'm excited by point of care diagnostics, you know, remote patient monitoring, telehealth in general. I mentioned sort of drones earlier. There's so many different projects, uh, you know, a clinical, uh, uh, experience I had down in Peru when, you know, we caught a gastric cancer and we had a GI dog come down, essentially had a mobile endoscopy clinic that we brought up and, you know, we saved that lady's life. So, I mean, uh, so many stories, so many technologies, um, a couple little tidbits there though. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned off the air when we first chatted that despite your immense focus on health IT before, you approached your medical training and residency with an open mind uh, to not continue work specifically in health IT. Why did you approach, uh, I guess, these levels of training with this open mind? Yeah, I, th- I think having an open mindset was really important, particularly uh, for me and in, in really exploring you know, as, as a background, we probably gathered this already, but I was pretty zoned in during, you know, undergrad days, uh, on, on, you know, technology and computer science and software engineering, et cetera. I was out to, you know, I was out to be the best and I was taking elective courses in, you know, it was cobalt, uh, to prepare for Y2K, right? Like it was, I was pretty, pretty zoned in at the time. So. So early in my medical career, what I didn't want to do was anchor myself to technology just because I was good at it and I was experienced and I had a leg up on, on it here. I really had other passions around, you know, working with youth and adolescent health and working in underserved communities and intersections of, you know, education and homelessness. And I'd even actually, little known story, actually had got into journalism school, um, for a master's program. I decided not to go in the <laughs> end. What? Yeah, yeah lots, lot, there's lots here, but, uh, I was always interested in the media to make, uh, uh, to, to make a difference in public health difference. And, uh, so, so for me, I wanted to just go in open mind, make sure I knew tech would play a role, but I really wanted to say, I'm going to do what I truly love to do, um, with, without, uh, hey, anything, uh, no anchor in tech, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I guess to push back on that, wouldn't that have necessitated giving up one of your greatest assets and skill sets? And what was your perspective with regard to that? Oh, it's a great, great, great observation. So, and I should clarify, I approached with an open mind, but I never gave up on the technology, right? I, I knew I got into it originally for a reason. I knew there was a big role technology had to play and I, remained involved in many health tech projects. I mean, I was at the WHO in Geneva working in their e-health group, right? Like I was involved in projects the entire way. Guess what I'm saying? I just didn't go all in on technology day one of, you know, medical school or business school, et cetera, when I, when I had left the tech, right? Like I, I kind of always carved out time and I always kept an open mind to do other things, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Where I easily could have, I could have said, Hey, I'm just going to spend, I'm good at technology. I like healthcare. I'm going right into health tech and I'm going all in on this. I, yeah. I didn't take that approach. I said, well, let's break up my time. I've got my health tech time and I've got buckets for two, three, four other things to sort of explore as well. I, I guess my, my question to further that line of conversation is how did that impact 
where you've gone since. Has there was there a measurable impact or do you just go back to your default? All right, I'm the health tech guy and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's easy to go back to that default mode. Uh, and ultimately, you know, I've focused a lot of my career on innovation, which really is, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of it is centered around uh, technology, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, the term innovation, again, can come in different ways. It can be working with, um, you know, in almost any field yeah. of healthcare. And I, again, I, I, I demonstrated a non-tech example earlier of innovation, right? So, you know, for me, I, I love technology. It's always going to play a key role in what I do. Um, and I'm always going to have a mindset of how are we going to use technology to improve the system. But, I, you know, I'm, I guess, I'm happy that I have a bit of a lens that's outside of it where I don't try to push technology into every solution, right? And I see that often in healthcare where there's people pushing a technology, uh, you know, in a system and it doesn't work, right? And, you know, for me to sort of have a little bit of a layer to say, it's okay not to use technology. I think that that's really been uh, important in my career. Mm -hmm. I feel like for those who may not necessarily have as much native exposure to healthcare overall, it's very easy to say, hey, there's this interesting tech. I understand vaguely that there's healthcare problem. Let's try to fit the tech to the problem overall without necessarily digging deep enough to understand what the problem is. Um, this itself in the greater overall picture lends itself to a conversation about the diverging incentives between the health innovation sector and the actual, well, health innovation, I mean, like uh, investments as well as health technology development sector as well as actual health innovation when it comes to changing systems and making sure that we're able to, as your mentee in Haiti did, uh, solve the problem from the beginning. So how do you think we should, uh, just off the top of your head, it's probably not going to be a very well thought out answer, approach these divergent incentives? Yeah, um, astute observation. And I think one of the keys to, you know, to, to solving for this generally is through collaboration. I wrote a blog a few years ago when I was at Lux Capital too, uh, just on, on sort of failed IT projects and how you can make, uh, technology, uh, successful in healthcare, right? And, and I mentioned some examples in there around, around, uh, I remember Leo Selly, who, uh, I had worked for, uh, at that MIT lab and he was a, he's an ICU critical care doctor. And I remember him telling me, and I was, Sort of finishing residency and he was telling me how his engineers would round with him on the wards right and you know those types of collaborations where you can help uh people who maybe don't have the insights day to day into healthcare gain some of those insights and it's important to know you know you're not gonna be able to round three times and like understand all of healthcare but it does help right and it gives you a little bit of a sense of some of the realities and then you know, just generally that cross collaboration of engineers working with, you know, physicians in other areas and, uh, you know, people of diverse skill sets working together is really important. And you do need to involve healthcare professionals. I see way too many times, too many failed projects because 
they just didn't engage healthcare professionals. It's funny because I, I, I'm part of all these different conversations. I'm involved on the tech side and then the management side and then, uh, the payment side and then the clinic, clinical side. And you sometimes see the same sort of topic circulated and just totally different discussions. There's people on one side saying, Oh my gosh, doctors love this. And then I, I go to like, you know, a forum of doctors or, you know, I'm going to go to, you know, ACP, which is, you know, American College of Physicians conference in, uh, in a week or two. Like the conversation will be totally different there compared to another conference that I go to. It's just, it's remarkable. So I think it's a reflection of our inability right now to talk to each other. Um, and we have to get a lot better at that. So. Mm-hmm know those extremely well informed so i apologize for underestimating what you could pull out of the hat when i sprung that question on you thank you for tuning in to this episode of how it's med if you liked what you heard the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform be it apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify whatever you like and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us if you can't do that then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.